Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Getting Sexy with Steph. And today I have the amazing Diana Intimacy Coach here with me, and we are going to be talking about sexuality in long-term relationships. Okay, I'm just jumping in because I don't know about you, but this is something like I do a weekly Q&A on my Instagram and probably half of my questions are about this, about how to navigate sexuality in a long-term relationship. One partner has a high libido, the other has a low libido. So I am so excited to explore this topic with you. And yeah, so thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really, really excited to talk about this. It's one of my passions. And uh, actually this topic comes as a very close topic to me because I had my own struggles in my relationship. So I'm really, really excited. (laughs) So good to meet you all. So, okay. So the thing that I hear the most from people is usually a mismatched libido, right? Like over time, one person is like, whoop, and the other person is going down, like up and down, up and down. And, And, you know, it can go back and forth at different points in a relationship, but, um, but yeah, that's the biggest thing that I hear. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. So that is something that I myself have experienced with my partner. Um, so now I don't want to, you know, I don't want to generalize this, but what I hear a lot of times is that women with time lose their sexual desire for their partners. And that is something that has happened to me as well. And I'm very excited to give a few, uh, yeah, to talk about this with you today. Um, first of all, it, this is very normal. So it's nothing weird. So a lot of times people freak out. Um, they think that something is wrong with their relationship or perhaps their partner is doing something wrong or, you know, they start to project onto each other uh, from both ends, right? The person with the higher libido perhaps goes into fear. They don't love me anymore, um, right? They don't feel desired. There's a lot of pain there. But then from the partner with the lower libido, there's this whole constant fear that I can't. they won't love me anymore. They will leave me if I don't perform so it does turn up into a little bit of a performance and um, I think it's really important to start talking about this and to let people know that this is actually not so abnormal it doesn't mean that this is this has to be your fate that this cannot change but without any tools this this is very normal that it's happening and it has nothing to do and nothing to say about the quality of your relationship Thank you so much for normalizing this, because I think that that is one of the biggest things that people ask. It's like, is this normal? This is not normal. And I love how you brought in this aspect of fear and performance. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes what I see also in my work is, is you're right. There's this fear. This person's going to leave me if I don't just go and have sex right now. And I don't really even want to. And then it's like, it creates this resentment around it. It taps you out of your own pleasure and your own experience because you do, you feel like you, you have to perform and performing in the bedroom. I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty much the worst thing ever. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So, you know, I just had a client this week and, you know, I, I've, I've worked a lot through my own journey, but uh, by talking to her this, this past week, 
reminded me of how it, how it felt, how terrible it felt. So basically she was holding on to so much anger around her partner because she was going through this whole uh, sexual healing journey, but she felt like she was doing it for him. So even with all the tools that, that we gave her and that all the tools that she had, she did, she, her body went into resistance and I got curious about it and went to investigate what is the resistance about and she was actually feeling like, yeah, I'm doing it for him. So of course, like you said, if there's performance, if there is uh, this idea of pressure, I have to do it for him. Of course, your body will fight it. Um, so it's very important here that when you do want to take uh, charge of your own sexuality, do it for you. Take the other person out of the picture, right? Do it for you. Yeah. I love that. And that's what I was going to ask next is, so what do you do? Like, you know, you're, you have this mismatched libido. We don't want to advocate performance and, and having sex when we don't want to, because all that does is perpetrate all the shame and trauma that, you know, that we have felt throughout our lives of having to be sexual in order to receive love, which is not true. So what are the, what are some steps? Like, what do we do? I heard you say that we can start, you know, doing it for ourselves. but what does that look like? Yeah. And while you were talking, I just remember, you know, a few years back when I was looking into this, Googling on the internet, what to do, because this was a huge issue for me, in my relationship. I found, I came across some websites where they actually say, do it anyways, right? And that is so destructive because I did it anyways. And then my body shut down on me. I got all kinds of pelvic tension, pain during intercourse. So no, do not do it anyways. <laughs> That's the first step, right? So we don't want to force our body into something that it doesn't want. But what we do want to do is to investigate where, why, why did it change? And one part is, of course, hormonal, right? Because in the first few years of our relationship, our bodies are producing all these beautiful, wonderful hormones to support us, to bond to our partners and all of that. And that is often not there anymore after a few years. So like with every aspect of your life, it needs maintenance. It needs investment. Um, and I'm talking now, especially to women, but for men that are experiencing this drop in libido, this is also valid, is making a practice for yourself, whatever that means, set aside some time and self-pleasure. Now, self-pleasure doesn't always mean it's going to be pleasurable and self-pleasure doesn't always mean that, you, that you're going to masturbate or anything like that. But just even taking that time to be with your own body, to 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 rediscover your pleasure cues, your sensuality, and all of the wonderful things that are just reconnecting to our body, actually. So that, that's the number one thing, reconnect to your own pleasure. Do not <clears throat> wait for your partner to spark that in you, because actually, that's not really possible. You're the only one that can re, um, yeah, uh, let that fire burning again. And something also really, really important because that's something that you can do individually, but as a couple, you need to talk, right? There's a lot of communication that has to go into that. Yeah, I actually, I think that 
I, I, when you said that, I immediately thought of this, this quote, and I believe I heard it from sex with Emily. I don't actually, I believe her name's Emily, but I don't, that's all I know her as on the internet is sex with Emily. And she always says communication is lubrication. And <laughs> I think that that is like the greatest quote ever. <laughs> I use it all the time. Yeah. It's so important because so often we talk you know it's it, it's the the communication in the bedroom is so self-centered so we talk from our yeah we 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 only know what's happening inside of ourselves we don't know what's happening in, inside of our partner um and it's so important to actually listen to them to understand what is going on with them to really um take the time to to hear each other not to only listen and it comes it comes in and out right away and we listen to reply back and or to defend ourselves, but to cultivate a certain amount of skill to actually listen, to hear them out, to feel them, right? So that's, that's so important to see that in fact, and I remember this from a huge fight I had with my partner a couple of years ago. When we got to the core of the issue, we both wanted the same thing. It sounded that we wanted different things, but we actually wanted the same thing. So that was connection, intimacy, love. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I am curious on your thoughts because I've got a few of my own, like, you know, from a lot of people, they've never really sat down and talked with their partner a lot about sex and their desires, or one of them shuts off immediately And it's not like an easy conversation to have. So what are some tools that, that we could come up with that, you know, you found with your clients and I found with my clients to, to even set the stage for this communication, because it is so important. And like you said, like when you really get to the root of it, you probably both just want to be seen and held and loved and have deep intimacy and connection. Right. So I think one of the biggest things that I always say is do it outside of the bedroom, right? When everybody's, so, so do it like your kitchen table, go sit on the grass, something somewhere outside of your bedroom, you know, this place of intimacy, you don't want to bring all of this into the bedroom, but then also do it when everybody's fed, um, nobody's tired, nobody's, you know, chasing a child around or puppies around or, <laughs> or something. So there's no distractions and everybody's in a, a relatively peaceful, stable, regulated state. Those are be my two biggest pieces of um, advice on how to even begin having these conversations. And that's to set the stage for it. Yeah, I love that. Uh, doing it outside of the bedroom. So not when the clash just happened and, you know, you probably you may, maybe initiated and she said no, or, you know, that's, that's quite a hidden moment. But also other tools that I have and... Um, a tool that actually changed my life and the way I communicate is nonviolent communication. So mm-hmm. I now embody this way of um, talking to my partner and this really changed the game for us because it's a way to, you know, you take the issue, all the judgments that you have, the anger, the, all the frustration, and then you go behind that. What's, what's behind that, right? So when you can... Um, 
when you can transmute these heavy charged feelings into something softer something inside of your own yeah in the core of your being you can actually um, come across to your partner in a better way but also that they, they can really hear you out they can really connect to you um so if you guys don't know about violent nonviolent communication go ahead and check out the book it's really life-changing it really changed my life and my relationship and that was kind of the first things that I gotten into when I um when I was trying to transform my relationship and then the second thing that I would have have to say and something like really beautiful that I came up with this week would be whenever your partner says something even that if it's charged or you know maybe there's a little bit of anger or passive aggressive respond to them the way you would want them to respond to you in that situation and <laughs> I know that's really hard especially in the beginning it's really hard because all you want to do is fight back or respond back but don't just try it try it for a week see what it does to your relationship and the thing is that the more you practice this tool the more it will also become easier and easier in the beginning it's so hard but it's really worth it <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, right? Yeah, like immediately you're going to want to respond from your own ego and from your own place. But I love that. So maybe even just pausing for just one, one breath, you know, and then, yeah, responding how you would want your partner to respond to you. That's powerful. That's yeah. really powerful. And I feel that that could be very transformative for so many relationships. And even, you know, that, that tools actually, uh, I mean, that could go into parenting, that could go into friendships. Like that's a really good, good thing yeah. to uh, kind of implement in your life. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to do that for the next week. <laughs> Respond to everybody that way. <laughs> yeah. And it's be really beautiful, especially to practice it together as a couple, right? Because if one of you goes into trigger, then there's still this, the other person who can, you know, hold, hold that with love. So if I respond from anger or if I respond for, from trigger, there's still my partner who's got my back. So in that, in that sense, there's also a teamwork and um, I find it really beautiful and powerful because what I've noticed with myself, when I do that, there's, um, you know, even if my partner responds from a trigger place, when I respond with love, and now, of course, it doesn't mean that if you respond with love, you don't have needs, requirements and boundaries, but it just means that you respond from a place of love and really seeing and hearing the other person. So when I do that, my partner softens right away. And then we can actually have a conversation that is productive. I love that. I love that so much. Such beautiful intimacy tips on how to implement, you know, this, this communication into your life immediately, right? Like these are things that people can take home and like, we're going to start doing this right now. We're going to buy this book and we're going to start responding in this way. Yeah. That's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. And I also, I've been thinking, you know, because I've been yeah, struggling with low libido myself. That's why I'm also doing the work I'm doing. And I've also seen it with many women that I encountered to me, 
a lot of times low libido is not actually low libido, right? So I, I feel like we think it's low libido, but it's not true. It's not really low libido. And I feel like that sort of um, labeling can also become a little bit uh, problematic sometimes. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on this, Stephanie? Absolutely. And you know who really, I found a lot of education on this was from um, kind of even more of like a sciency is Emily Nagoski's book, oh. uh, Come As You Are. And when I read through that, actually I read that years ago and then I reread it last year. And it's, it's fascinating when you look at, you know, what, like your desire and what context and like, what are your like stimulators? And I don't remember the exact wording that she used, but it's like, what are your turn-ons and what are your turn-offs? And so a lot of times it's increasing the turn-ons and decreasing the turn-offs. And that can really help shift this narrative of a low libido, low low libido. And so I agree. I think that, you know, you can get into this narrative that this is just who I am. You can get into this label, you can get into this identity and Mm. in actuality, no, it's like, you just need like a clean house, not to be around your kids or, you know, you need a date night or you need, you know, 35 minutes of foreplay, or you just want foreplay to start in the morning when you know that you're going to have a sexy night, right? You need your partner to like desire you all day. And that's, that's what you need. So discovering your turn-ons and, and increasing that is, is something that, and also at the same time, decreasing, you know, the turn-offs is something it's like increasing the accelerator, decreasing the brake. And that, that can really, really help with low libido and a great way to reframe it, right? Like I just need to find my accelerators. Yeah, totally. So that's exactly my thoughts on this, because I always thought that I'm somebody with a low sex drive. But uh, what through my exploration and all the beautiful work that we're doing with tantric uh, activations and all the beautiful um, things that we're studying together also at the moment, um, I found out that that was actually not true. I just needed something different than I was doing before. So I also realized that before when I when I used to feel tired or a little bit off, I wouldn't go into sex because I was like, yeah, but this is not the right moment for sex. Mm -hmm. And that is just, you know, it's a mood killer because if I feel like I cannot be myself in sexuality, I have to be a certain way, then of course I'm not gonna be excited to have sex because not all of me is welcome. So in that sense, reframing, the whole definition of sex what is really sex right so um in that sense now when i feel angry or i feel sad i still go ahead and 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 if i want to if it's if it feels right i go ahead and um initiate or when my partner initiates intimacy i don't just say no because i'm not feeling perfectly ready for sex right now it just means that I just need more time. And even if I am feeling fine, my body just needs probably a, no, a whole hour of stroking and massage and all, all kinds of different things. And I'm also noticing with myself, and I think that's also something that is being talked about in Taoist and Tantric tradition, that the female body kind of works from the outside in, 
right? So it's uh, something that I've, I've noticed with myself first is my environment, is um, getting used to my partner's energy, tuning, relaxing into his energy. First of all, not even touching, right? Just looking at each other. Um, then touching maybe my my hands and my shoulders and then getting into my heart and I feel my heart opening. And then when my heart is feeling open and my whole body is relaxed, um, more sensitive zones of my body allow him to stroke, right? So then then it's 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 this very um slow process, but when it's on, it's on, right? So yes. Yes, I love that. And you know, I think that that's, that's very important to realize that actually a lot of women that I speak to feel that way, right? Like they, they need the environment. They need to feel that safety and that desire from their partner. And then they need to be able to relax into it and really start to surrender into the sensations as they're being stroked in, you know, whatever their favorite way is. And, you know, not just like <laughs> dick in hole, <laughs> like that is, I think, like, I, there's a time and a place for that. Right. But <laughs> But at the same time, like having that, like being warmed up in all the different ways, energetically and physically and emotionally, that can really help to, to find that surrender into your pleasure and find that desire, um, it kind of reignite again. Yeah, totally. So there have been times where I'm like, there's no way I can get turned on right now. <laughs> and if I give it enough time, it, it will happen because my body and I love what you said, right? So for a lot of women, although we may not be aware of it, we need this activation from all sides, right? So energetically, mentally, physically, uh, spiritually, all kinds of activation for us to um really fully enjoy the experience because um female sexuality is so complex and we're also different as well so there are some women that thrive on a certain things but there's some some women that won't but in general if you want to you know if you want to be sure about it and unless she's saying something different go slow <laughs> and yeah. go slow and don't start with the most erogenous zones because when a woman is not turned on, she will not enjoy that sort of touch right away. Absolutely. I love that. Just slow everything down. And also I totally agree. Like, I think that the best way to turn me on is literally like touching my head. <laughs> like, <laughs> If you massage my head, which is so totally not, you know, like my breasts or my inner thighs, it's, it's something, you know, that probably wouldn't be considered an erogenous zone. But like for me, it's like that slow turn on. And it, I swear, I just like melt. I'm like, yes, take me now. <laughs> so finding these areas and, you know, maybe somebody likes their hands massaged or a foot massage, something. So if I taking time to really explore this and actually, I think that that segue is really beautiful. Um, I'd like to talk really quick about like creating your own pleasure practice right? So, you know, finding out what it is that you like, like, what do you like? What does make you feel pleasure? Like what turns you on and how can you do that to yourself to create a pleasure practice outside of your, outside of your partner? Yeah, that is really, really crucial because 
a lot of times, especially if you feel somewhat unsafe to go into sexuality with a partner, doing it by yourself can be really, really um, such an educational process, right? Because then you, what I also notice a lot is a lot of women, uh, including myself in the past, we project onto our partners, like they're not doing it good enough. They're not doing this good enough. But then I started going to pleasure practices and I felt as overwhelmed and if not more um, as when I was with my partner. And then I was like, then I realized, wait a moment, it's not him. It's not a relationship. There's something happening inside of me and my sexual energy is not flowing. So get curious because sometimes when you go into a pleasure practice, it won't be pleasurable in the beginning. So it's very normal to experience a phase where you go perhaps into some anxiety, especially if there's some trauma involved there, if there is some shaming around sexuality, you will probably get to experience all of these uh, layers that are blocking your sexual expression. Mm. It's really, really important to have that practice for yourself. Absolutely. And I loved when you said um, that you realize, oh, it's not my partner. (laughs) There's something going on inside of me. And that, that is, that's what happens with a pleasure practice. You, you find all of the places that you are resistant to. And, and, you know, we spoke to this earlier, pleasure practice doesn't necessarily have to be like masturbation. It can be really just like even stroking your skin or giving yourself a head massage. What is it that brings you pleasure? Maybe it's taking lotion and rubbing it all over your entire body very slowly and like have a candle lit and a pretty song on. It can be anything that turns you on. And it's important to find our own turn on because yeah, like our partners can totally like help increase the turn on, right? Like we can be totally attracted and just have, you know, animalistic nature sometimes and intimate nature sometimes, and we can have that turn on with our partner. But ultimately, if you start a pleasure practice for yourself, you're going to find out all the ways that you hold yourself back. You're going to find out where you're holding your shame, where you're holding your trauma, where your blocks are in your sexuality. And even if you're resistant to doing it, like, like I hear people say all the time, I don't want to do a pleasure practice. And I'm like, well, what do you have on pleasure? Like, is pleasure hard for you to receive? And get curious about that. Like, is it hard for you to really receive pleasure? And what would yeah. it be like if you, if you gave yourself that gift for just a couple minutes, twice a week? Mm, I love that. Yes. And as somebody that was very resistant to pleasure practice, I think, you know, that's why I'm doing this work because I've encountered all of the blocks that there can exist, perhaps not, uh, not every, (laughs) a lot of them (laughs) to pleasure. And one of my deep fears was that there is actually not pleasure, no pleasure for me, that pleasure is not available for me. So then my mind was sabotaging my, me in not I didn't want to go into a pleasure practice because I didn't truly believe that there's a possibility of pleasure for me. That wasn't in in my, um, yeah, that was just not uh, the reality I lived in. So of course, anxiety and avoidance go hand in hand. So I avoided the shit out of my pleasure practices, but it's really important to do it anyways. And if there is resistance, be with the resistance. Maybe that's going to be your entire pleasure practice to just be with that resistance and to let it 
let it feel it because resistance is usually resistance, anxiety, depressive feelings, all of that. They're, they're in my experience, um, in a way they, they, they mask or they, they hide deeper feelings like grief, rage, and all of these things that want to be expressed, but perhaps you don't feel so safe to express them yet. Absolutely. I love that. Just sitting in the resistance, like, and, and I do think it's important to schedule time out, right? Like we're all super busy. So if you could schedule time out for, you know, a pleasure practice, and then when the time approaches, if you're still feeling that resistance, just to say, all right, well, I'm going to set a timer. And for 10 minutes, I'm going to sit with this resistance and just see what happens. And, you know, and, and just see, like you said, just get really curious on what's underneath that, because there always is, like you said, some sort of emotion or fear or rage or grief or sadness or something that's underneath that resistance that really wants to be felt. And mm. so it may even turn into just like a really beautiful emotional release process, which is going to open you up to experience more pleasure in the future, right? The more that we can release the more pleasure that we can actually receive and feel, give ourselves and accept from a partner. Yeah. And something that I've learned also recently is that sometimes those very difficult emotions, they are not so difficult after all. It's just the story that I made around them that makes it difficult. And when I lose the story and really just go into the felt sense of it, really just go into the sensation and let that energy move through my body, that is actually the portal to my sexual energy. So those emotions that we spend so much energy to avoid, they are actually your portals to bliss, to that what, which you want to feel so badly. But we, get it. we spend so much energy to avoid it and to um, numb ourselves from it. And what happens that when you do numb those emotions, you also numb out the pleasure, the bliss, the happiness, that those emotions that you want to feel because your body doesn't know how to filter, right? So either you numb everything or you let it all flow. Yeah, absolutely. You can't selectively numb, right? That's, <laughs> you know, such a huge premise of the work that I've personally done and now I professionally do is really opening, opening that up very slowly. Right. we don't want to like go cathartic into like grief. If you've never felt sadness, you don't want to like go into like deep rage. If you can't accept anger, like, mm. you know, it's, it's really opening this up slowly and realizing that there's a whole spectrum of beautiful emotions out there that can enhance your life. They can be your teacher. They want to flow through. They want to be felt. And when you start to feel through the resistance and you feel the fear and you feel the sadness and you feel these, it's going to allow you to feel the peace and that pleasure and the ease and the play and the love on an even higher, higher level as well. Like you're turning up both dials and it's, it's just, it's really beautiful because you can start to navigate kind of back and forth forth and it becomes a flow. It's almost like a dance. I look at every day, almost like an emotional dance, um, especially being a woman. And, you know, we're very cyclical in so many different ways. And, you know, with my cycle, even it's like, 
you know, how am I feeling now? How am I feeling now? And it's like, I might feel really calm one moment. And then the next minute I might want to like rip somebody's head off. And it's like, okay, we're angry. What do we need right now? And then the next minute, you know, it's like, I want to feel into some pleasure. Like, actually, I just want to be soothed. And yeah, so it's a beautiful emotional dance that you can go on where you're just riding the waves versus letting the waves waves like crash you down and keep pulling you under and you're like in that spin cycle. Yeah, and that's often happens when we fight it, right? They, it gets so tiring because you just want to keep your head outside of the emotion, but it just wants to be felt so badly that it's it's kind of like this back and forth. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So to wrap up, um, how often do you think that somebody should have a pleasure practice? Because I know that this is a question. It's like, okay, well, I need a list. I want a checklist of everything I need to do. And, you know, I'm a Virgo, so I love lists. But, (laughs) you know, like somebody who's just starting out is like, okay, I'm going to do this pleasure practice thing. Um, what, what do you think is a good amount of time or some, like some baseline for people to kind of launch off of? Look, any pleasure practice is better than no pleasure practice. So if you could do it once a week, at least that would be amazing already. But if you really, really want to step up your game, I would recommend having a daily practice of of a short daily practice, right? So maybe that involves your daily, um, I don't know, maybe you're a mother and in the morning you're just, your kids are asleep and you make your favorite cup of tea and you just have that five, 10 minutes with yourself. That is already amazing, right? So it's just so good for your nervous system and so good to to connect with your self, with your sexuality and sensuality. And a more extended practice, if you really want to take it to the next level, I would say like three times a week, two to three times a week. That's something that I've experienced to be, you know, like just like going to the gym. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. recommend going to at least three times a week. So your muscles stay, stay, um, stay trained and they don't go into sleepy mode again. So that that's what I also recommend with pleasure practices. <laughs> Awesome. I love that. I love that analogy. We got to keep this muscle going, this pleasure muscle. <laughs> and that's, that's a good balance. I usually find, you know, depending on the week and where I'm at, my cycle is usually two to three times is, is what I like as well. And sometimes it's like 10 minutes and, you know, sometimes it's an hour long luxurious bath with crystal dildos. <laughs> like, you know, it can be, it can be something different, but it doesn't have to be an hour long every single day. This is something, like you said, you can find and you can start to reclaim your pleasure in the little things. You know, yeah. A cup of tea in the morning, or maybe it is like applying lotion or, or even shampooing your hair, like something you can make anything. Um, I think that pleasure, bringing intentional pleasure into your life is a daily practice. Yeah. And just something that I wanted to speak to real quick. Um, you know, when we are, because we were talking, we started with the dynamics between two partners, right? Yeah. So how do you bring this all together into partnership? Yeah. And a very powerful practice that I found during my exploration, but also with my clients was that um, schedule intimate time together. And what I found very powerful is that in the beginning, when you're just starting to navigate this separate who is giving and who's receiving and you know alternate between the sessions so 
what that does, it creates the safety and the freedom that you can truly surrender and receive whatever you want to receive. So if that is just gazing at your partner's eyes for one hour long, that is what you're going to receive that gives you pleasure. So in that sense, it's so powerful because then we go out of the performative mentality. We just get to receive. And for our partners, they get, they get to receive whatever they want, of course, within our boundaries. Um, but it's, it's really powerful. And something that our listeners can maybe Google or get into is the wheel of consent. It's, um, it's a powerful practice around boundaries, giving, receiving, the different forms of giving, the different forms of receiving. So yeah, really, that's something that really changed my um, intimate relationship in that sense. Because when both of your cups are depleted, because nobody's really getting what they want, it's harder to give. So if you start to alternate and everybody gets what they want, it's, you're more likely to feel more in love, to be in a more loving space and to also have more space to give something to the other. I absolutely love that. <laughs> I really, really love that. And I feel like we could do a whole episode on, you know, practices of giving and receiving as well. There's so mm. much out there. So I love that. I absolutely love that. And that's actually one that I'm going to store away for when I am in a long-term partnership one day as well. I think that that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful tip to alternate out who's going to give and receive because you will be able to go into those deeper levels of surrender and nourishment and really be able to get what you want. And, you know, before that you, you've got to talk, you've got to have the communication. So it like really does, it pulls in everything that we've talked about today. Yeah, definitely. And of course you can get to a point where it's a, it's a co-creation, right? Between the partners, Mm -hmm. but in the beginning, especially as you start to navigate this, it can be really powerful to ask yourself the question, who is this for? So even if you are touching the other person, is it for their pleasure or is it for yours? So it's very, very important to differentiate here because it can really solve a lot of giving, receiving issues, who gave last, uh, who received last, right? So it's, it's, to me, it was really transformational. So I hope it will be for you too. (laughs) Yay. I love that. Thank you so much, Diana. This has been so informative and I, I know that so many people are going to find so much value and I'm curious if you can tell everybody where they can find you. Yes. So I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, my account is divine feminine medicine with a uh, dot between between each word (laughs) sorry English not my first language as as you may have noticed so far Um, but uh, yeah I'm most active on Instagram and yeah I I would love to connect with all of you Awesome. And I will definitely link that below. And I highly, highly recommend that you seek out Diana and her beautiful coaching. I've had the opportunity to be coached by her before and to work with her on many different levels. And she is just extraordinary. So seek her out. And if anything that she says resonates, go and pay her for her services because she is really fucking good at what she does. And she's an incredible space holder. (laughs) All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you next time.